Trinity Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, good morning. Well, we are in the fourth week of a study on the book of 1 John. And if you've been with us the last several weeks, you know that we're calling this series In the Light as we look a little more in depth at what God wants for us uh, to be understood but communicated in the book of 1 John. And uh, the amazing thing about the book of 1 John is that John writes this letter to his congregation. Uh, John was a pastor in addition to being one of the original apostles. And as he writes to his congregation, he desires that they have an intimate relationship with the Savior. Not just a relationship that is a one-time thing, not just a saving transaction for eternity, but he wants an ongoing intimate relationship with his congregation in Jesus, and that's possible. Uh, and and the, the way that we get there is through the truth that is communicated in the book of 1 John. And so if you're here today and you desire a more intimate relationship with Christ, the book of 1 John has got something for you and it's got something for me. And as we began our study of 1 John several weeks ago, we saw how this intimate fellowship with the Lord is found in light and not in darkness. It's found in confession and not in perfection. It's found in the work of Christ and not in our own work. It's found in obedience and not just in information. And then we, we looked a little more the next week at how the things that God is calling us to obey are not necessarily new truths, but they're actually some old school truths. Uh, things like loving your brother or sister in Christ. And last week we saw how that love that we exhibit towards our brother and sister in Christ is not something that we just conjure up, but it's something that is found that God produces through us as we trust Him, as we resemble our Heavenly Father. Uh, this week, we're going to look at another section, another set of verses from the book of 1 John. Uh, but before we open those up and look at them, let's, let's pray together. Father, thank You for today, and thank You for this, this group, and thank You for the promise You've given us that your word, when you send it out, does not return null and void, but it accomplishes the purpose for which you intended it. And so, Father, that gives us confidence today that as your word is read, that you have a purpose in our lives. Father, we sit here as expectant people wanting and needing to hear from you. And so, Father, I pray that you would help me just to be out of the way of this, but that your word would just speak through me. Father, that you would protect me from saying anything that you wouldn't want said. But Father, if I share anything today that you wouldn't want heard, I pray that it would just quickly be forgotten. But Father, anything that I share today that you would want us to remember, I pray that we would believe it and that we would walk forward in it in the power of your Spirit, that we might be shaped more into the image of your Son, not just in the context of this service, but throughout the week, throughout the month, throughout our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, believe it or not, it's the end of July, and uh, with the end of July, several things are looming on your calendar. We've got the start of school coming back up. That, that thundering that you hear is the return of college students to this town. Uh, that's coming. College football is coming this fall. 
something that, that several of us are excited about. But one of the things that is also coming this fall is the State Fair of Oklahoma. How many of you out there are fair people? You enjoy the fair. You, don't be shy. Raise your hand. If you enjoy the fair, raise your hand. Um, what is it that you like about the fair? Just I mean, This is not a rhetorical question. I really want to hear from you. What do you like about the fair? Just shout it out loud. People watching. Yes, it's similar to going to a zoo. Um, but but here's, here's, the, here's the catch, Jamie. The reality is that we're the same people who are at the fair. So you can go and get that experience this morning without a cover charge. So, yeah, there's just an experience of, of watching other folks. What else do you get excited about with the fair? Food. Yes, you get excited about food. Why? Junk food. Yes, there is stuff that you can only get at the fair. There is fried food that you can only find there. You can get a stick of butter deep fried. Who thought that was a good idea? You can get fried Coca-Cola. How do they even do that? Why do they even do that? But you can get it there. You can buy it there. You can get a a fried Twinkie, a fried Ding Dong, a fried Corny Dog. You name it, you can get it fried at the fair. That's one of the reasons why we show up. Uh, what, What else? What else do you like about the fair? The what? The pig races. Yes, you, you have these events that you can watch. Uh, and, and if you're lucky, it might be a two-headed pig or, or, or so, you know, a pig with a snake's body. Or you never know what you're going to find at the fair. Uh, what else besides the, the pig races and the food and, and the people watching? What else? What, cars. Yes, there are things that you can see that you will never be able to afford. What else do you do at the fair? Exhibits. Things you, know, you can do. All these, these wonderful, uh, you know, vision of tomorrow. Right? What? Uh, how about rides? You, ever, you, know, you go to the fair, you ride some rides. Um, maybe you go to the fair and you play some games. You know, those games to win these beautiful prizes. Things like Kyle Trotter's giant stuffed ape uh, right there. You, you, you go to the fair and you, you experience all of these things and you go through it. And, you know, I was thinking about the fair this week and I was thinking about all of the things that we like about the fair and everything that goes on with the fair. And I began to wonder, why is it that the fair only happens one month a year? You ever wondered that? Why is it that the State Fair of Oklahoma is a short-term, temporary thing? I've, I've thought long and hard about that this week. And, and really, the answer I could come up with is this. The reason why the fair is only one month is that it's not that good. If the fair were really great, we would demand 12 months of it. We are a capitalistic society. If the fair would would be profitable over 12 months, the fair would be open over 12 months. But the reason why the fair is only around for a month is we need 11 months to forget why it's not that great. I mean, think about the things that you like about the fair. Uh, the food, right? I mean, it, it, you see it over there on the counter, and it's the, the fried butter and the fried this and the fried that, and you're like, man, i got to try some of that. You get up there and you eat it, and it's, it's not all that great either. Somebody reminded me after first service, it's not all that temporary either. But the, the, the food that you get at the fair, it's not that great. Think, think about the rides that you ride at the fair. Um, they look shiny. They look beautiful. Uh, but when you ride them, are they ever, they ever deliver as much as they promise? When you get off, you're like, I can't believe I spent $10 to ride that. I can't believe I waited in line to ride that. 
Uh, somebody else reminded me, this is actually between services, second service is a much better experience because people can tell me things. But uh, Wayne Berryhill came up to me and said, you realize that in your brain, there is a spot in your brain that is called the nausea center. And when you ride the tilt-a-whirl, it actually stimulates the nausea center because we were never intended to spin that fast. Um, and, and yet we pay money to stimulate the nausea center in our brain. We need 11 months to forget that. Uh, you know, you think about the, 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 all of the experiences we have, the, the games that we play. You know, you play those games and, and you want to win that prize and then you win it and now what? See, the reason why the fair is temporary is because it's not all that great. And, you know, I was thinking about the fair uh, this week as I was looking at the section that, that we're looking at this morning from the book of 1 John. And uh, what, I, what I see in the book of 1 John is something that reminds me of the state fair. See, in the book of 1 John, in, in chapter 2, verses 15 to 17, John writes to his congregation, and, and, and by application, God has communicated this message to us. And he wants to, to let us know that the things that the world offers, the fair, F-A-R-E, that the world offers is temporary. It looks shiny, it looks great, it looks fried, but it leaves us nauseous, and it leaves us always wanting more because it never delivers what it You know, my, my hope this morning as we look at these verses from 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17, and then we're going to look at chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. My, my hope for us is that we would walk away from here realizing how foolish it is to follow the world, how foolish it is to live our lives dedicated to the world's faith. And that we would understand that there's a better way in Christ. So if you've got a Bible, open to 1 John chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 15. And this morning as we look at these verses, we're just going to see two things. The first thing we're going to see today is this. It's very simple. Don't cheat on God at the world's fair. Don't cheat on God at the world's fair. We see this in chapter 2 verses 15 to 17. This is what it says. It says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride and possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides and in those three verses, we get this reminder to not cheat on God at the world's fair. Well, well where, do we, where do we see that in these verses? Well, we see it because in verse 15, the, the image that John communicates to us is one of the relationship between a husband and a wife. It's really a marriage-type relationship. And in this, this marriage-type relationship, he's talking not about an earthly husband and wife, but it's talking about the relationship between a believer and and God the Father, that if we have entered into a saving relationship with Christ, we have a relationship to God that is similar to a relationship between a husband and wife. We're, we're tethered together. And he says to those of us who are tethered together to God in Christ, 
He says it is impossible for us to, at, to simultaneously exhibit a love for the world and the things of the world and a love for God. He says it's impossible. And when we read that, we, we, we see it says that the love of the Father is not in the one who loves the world. And we, we think that maybe that means that somehow God ceases to love us. That's what the love of the Father is talking about. Uh, that's not the way that this is written in the original language. The way this is written in the original language is saying that it is, it is our love for the Father that is missing when we love the world. Literally, what the idea is that when we, when we love the world, when we exhibit a love for this world and the things around us, we are having an affair. We are cheating on our Father. When, when our, our affections are here, they cannot be on the Father. And this is something that, that's helpful to think of in terms of a marriage relationship. See, in a marriage relationship, if someone were to say, I, I love my spouse, but simultaneously be having an affair on them with someone else, giving their affections, their, their time, their money, their, their attention, all that to somebody else, we would say, you're, you're, you're crazy to say that you can love your wife at the same time you are exhibiting this kind of a love for another woman. It's crazy to think that you're loving your husband while at the same time you're exhibiting that kind of level of affection and attention for another man. See, we're we're familiar with this when it comes to a marriage relationship, but what this passage is indicating to us is that a similar dynamic exists in our relationship with God. You see, when we are loving the world, we are not simultaneously demonstrating a love of God. Now, Now, what does it mean to say that we have a love of the world? We'll get to that in just a minute. But in general, the, the love for the world is not talking about the world of people. It's talking about the world or a system of, of goals and objective and philosophy that is removing God from the equation. See, it's impossible to, to look at this world and have an affection for this world and orient our lives according to this world and pursue what this world offers and at the same time exhibit that same level of affection and attention to the Father. And when we begin to do that, our intimacy with the Lord begins to be squelched. And it's, a, it's an amazing transaction when we begin to cheat on God at the world's fair because it's a terrible, terrible loss in value. Look at what verse 17 says. Verse 17 says, The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. The world is passing away. The world is temporary. The world is the state fair of Oklahoma. It springs up for a season, but eventually it's all going to be packed up and done away with. But what God offers to us is something that is eternal, something that knows no end, something of highest quality. God is offering us a life and an existence that is top shelf, and we exchange that for something that is going to be packed up in a very short amount of time. You know, it would be crazy to think of exchanging that which is eternal for that which is temporary, but we do it all the time. And the reality is that if you're like me, we make transactions and decisions in our lives all the time that that reflect a preference of the temporary over the eternal. And this passage is given to remind us of this dynamic and to call us to not do that, to call us to something better, 
See, our, our Heavenly Father wants more for us than a life at the fair. Our Heavenly Father wants an eternal life of finest quality. And so He writes us this warning in 1 John chapter 2. Now, now what does it look like to love the world? What is it particularly about the world and its system and its desires that is appealing to us? Well, he gives kind of an unholy trinity of three temptations in verse 16 of chapter 1. He mentions three things that are of particular interest in the world that are attempting, that are tempting for every believer in Christ. The first thing he mentions is the desire of the flesh, the lust of the flesh, your translation might. What does it mean to say that the world system offers a desire for the flesh? The idea here is that it's a temptation to experience something, a temptation to do something. There are things in this world that the world wants to to whisper or to scream out to us, if you do this, if you experience this, then you'll be happy. Let's, let's think of this in terms of our analogy of the fair. What are some of the things at the fair that call out to us, if you do this, if you experience this, then you'll be happy? Well, one of them is the rides that are there, right? Now, when else in your life are you ever tempted to get onto a machine that has been bolted down by a you know, minimum wage worker just hours before and go four stories above concrete. Uh, never are you tempted. But at the fair, you're like, wow, I really want to do that. And so you put down your hard-earned money and you get on that ride and, and you ride it, but then it's, it's ultimately not as fun as you thought it was going to be. Now, the same thing is true of the food. It promises if you eat this, it'll be the best culinary experience of your life. Step right up and eat the fried Twinkie. Eat the fried butter. You can only get it here. It's that good. And then you eat it, and it just is not satisfying. An ultimate expression of this to me is, is cotton candy. What is cotton candy? I have no idea what this stuff is. You get it, it looks beautiful. It's fluffy. It's colorful. And then you put it near your mouth, and where does it go? I don't know. It just goes away. It promises something, but when you put it in your mouth, it disappears and leaves you with nothing. See, the things at the fair that promise us, if you do this, you'll get happy, ultimately, what do they do? They take our money, and they leave us with nothing. We need 11 months to forget that. But see, here's the sad part. As we live out our lives in this world's fair, there are things that call out to us. If you do this, then you'll be happy. If you experience this, then everything will work out for you. And in reality, when you do those things, it leaves you with nothing. It's cotton candy. What are some examples of that in our lives? I think one of the big ones in our world is, is that of, of sex outside of marriage. You know, if, if you just do this, then 
you'll be happy. We are programmed for this. Our, our world, the media around us is screaming out to us, the best expression of a sexual relationship is going to be with a man and a woman or with, between whoever within hours of when they first meet. And, and that is the, 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 the thing that's held up high. But you know what? People that indulge in that, over time, talk to them sometimes. Like cotton candy. Looks great. You bite in. Where'd it go? It leaves us nothing. Same thing could be true of pornography. Pornography on the internet is rampant. Access to this stuff is is unprecedented. And what what does it do? It's, It's out there and it says, if you click on this, then you'll be happy. This is what you really want. Experience this. That's... That's where you want to go. But in reality, when, when you do that, what are you left with? Nothing. It's cotton candy. It's fried butter. It's not good for you. It's not satisfying for you. It takes your money, it takes your time, and it leaves you with nothing. Same thing could be said of drinking to excess. If you drink... And go out and party with your friends. Then, then this, this is the experience that will lead you to happiness. But then you wake up the next day. What do you got? Nothing. Cotton candy. Take these pills. Take these pills and then you'll have this euphoric experience. It's amazing the availability of the things that will make people high now, isn't it? But what happens after that? Nothing. Cotton candy. See, the world whispers out to us, if you just experience this, if you just do this, then you'll be happy, then you'll be content. But the reality is, that's the world's fair. That's cotton candy. It leaves you with nothing. God doesn't want you to have nothing. So he tells us, he warns us of this desire in the world. But he goes on. He says, not just the desire of the flesh, but he also says, the desire of the eyes. Desire of the eyes. So what, what is the desire of the eyes? This is the desire not just to experience something, but it's the desire to have something, to possess it. What is the, uh, you know, it's the idea that if, if we just had this, then we'd be happy, then we'd be content. You know, an example at the fair is the giant ape, Right? You're at the fair, you're walking along, and on the midway you see these games, and behind these games, pinned up on the wall, are the, you know, four-foot-tall Fred Flintstone, and the three-and-a-half-foot-tall Scooby-Doo, and the big white ape with boxing gloves on it. And you see these things on the wall, and you think, man, I want that. And so you put down five bucks, and you play the milk bottle game, and and eventually you, you win, and they say, great, you get this small prize. You trade three small prizes for a big prize. You put down some more money, then some more money, then some more money. Pretty soon, you put down $35, and you walk away with the monkey, and you get it. And you're like, yeah, I got the monkey. Now what? Now you got to carry the monkey around for the rest of your time at the fair. And when you get home, where's that monkey going? It's not going on the mantle. It's going in the attic or in the garage sale. 
That's what happens to the stuff that we win. And, you know, we're familiar with that experience. That's why sometimes, you know, you're a little more savvy when your kids start asking to play these games. Like, look, 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 look. You know this is not ultimately what's going to make you happy. It's going to cost us 40 bucks. We can go to the store and we can buy it for 10, you know. Um, but, but you know that. But, but the reality is that this verse would indicate that the world's fair, what it offers us in terms of things we have, that there's a bunch of monkeys that we're chasing. There's a bunch of monkeys that we're chasing. See, the world whispers to us, you know what? If you just had this house, then you'd be happy. You know what? If you just had that car, then you'd be happy. If you just had this gadget, then everything's going to be okay. The key to your happiness is the next thing. How many of you have ever said to yourself or to somebody else, this is the house to end all houses? This is my dream house. I've bought it, and, and I'm, I'm going to be here forever. You're going to bury me in the backyard. This is my house. How long does it take before that house, you want to remodel it or move? Not that long, right? The house to end all houses? Temporary. Car. How many of you bought a car and said, this is the car? We're going to drive this car for 35 years. We're never getting rid of this. This is the best car I've ever had. I'm going to drive it forever. How long did it take before you wanted something different? Probably before you paid for it, right? You, you buy a computer. This is the computer that will make me happy. I'll be able to, this is exactly what I want. I buy this computer. I take it home. I open it from the box. The minute you open it up, there's something else that's shiny, newer, faster. Man, I got to upgrade. You see, the world whispers to us that the secret to our happiness is to get the monkey. But then you get it, and what happens? You want another one. Why is that? It's because you don't satisfy an appetite by feeding it. You satisfy an appetite by starving it. Uh, we know this. We know this because how many of you have ever been on a diet? When are you hungriest on a diet? The first 12 hours, the first 24 hours, the first 36 hours, you are starving because you're used to eating this much, and suddenly you're eating this much. But what happens over time if you only eat this much is you become satisfied with this much and you're not as hungry. Why is that? Because your appetite has been suppressed because you haven't fed it. You know, we, we become convinced that if we just buy this, if we just buy that, then eventually we'll fill the hole in our lives, and then we'll be okay. But you know what? As you talk to people, people that have very little, people that have very much, unless they've found contentment in the Lord, they're always talking about what they need next. This is me, guys. I'm not talking, this is not, I'm not talking down my nose. I'm not saying this is you. I'm not talking to anybody but me in this. The world is whispering in my ear all the time, if you just had this. And you know what I need to remember? The world is saying, win the monkey. And I don't want the monkey. There's a lot of things I do want. I need to remember that happiness and contentment is not found in the monkey. It's found in something greater. It's found in Christ. See, he warns us against the, the desire of the flesh. He warns us against the desire of the eyes. He goes on and gives a third warning. He warns us against pride and possessions. Now, if you, if you look at that from a, uh, in the original language, uh, the New American Standard, I think, translates it better. It says not pride of possessions, it says pride of life. 
That's literally what it, what it mentions. It's talking about the desire not to experience or do, not to, to have, but it talks about the desire to be. See, the pride of life is that subtle temptation that if others just viewed me a certain way, then I would be happy. This is how this expresses itself at the fair. You're walking down the midway at the fair, and, and there's all these, these carnies calling out to you from their booth. If you've ever gone to the fair as a guy with your wife or with your kids, we are susceptible to this ploy. They say, hey, hey, come on over here. Come on, Keith. Hit the, hit the thing, ring the bell, show your wife that you're a man. You know, Hey, throw the ball in the hole, and your kids will always think that you're awesome. You know, hey, do this, do this. And they, 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 they call out to you, and sometimes in weak moments you're like, okay, nobody comes to my town and tells me that I'm not a man. Give me that hammer, I'm ringing your bell. Um, and, and we step up and we think, okay, here it is. I'm going to, boom, rings the bell. There you go. And he goes, yeah, hey, good job. And we think, we have won something. We have gained some approval from this man. And so you walk off, and you're like, that's right, I rang the bell. And then you get to the next booth, and what happens? You're not really a man if you don't throw the ball in the bucket. You're like, I just proved myself with the hammer hit. They're saying, no, 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 real men. Throw the ball in the bucket. Okay, I got to throw the ball in the bucket. Throw the ball. Yes. Next one down. No, you got to climb this rope and ring that bell. I just rang a bell. No, you got to climb it to ring it. And you go from place to place at the fair being tempted with this desire to prove yourself through something. You know what, it's, it's, it's funny to think about at the fair, and we can leave all that behind, but in the world in which we live in, this fair that we live in, we get little whispers in our ear or loud shouts in our face all the time telling us, if you, hey, if, you, if you're really somebody, if you're really somebody, you know what, they'll call you boss. If you're really somebody, you'll have this title. If you're really somebody, you'll, you'll have a, a paycheck every month that has this amount of money on it. If you're really somebody, then that everybody will esteem you to a certain degree. If you're really somebody, then you'll live in this neighborhood. If you're really somebody, then you'll drive that car. If you're really somebody, then you'll have this many kids. If you're really somebody, then you... You know what all that is? That's the world's fair whispering to us, the pride of life. And hey, if you just do this, then you're normal. If you just do this, then you're right. If you just do this, then you're somebody. There's a better way. Now, now there's nothing wrong with achieving. There is nothing wrong with living someplace. There's nothing wrong with driving something. There's nothing wrong with experiencing things. Here's, here's what these verses are getting at, though. What they're getting at is don't look to what I do, what I have, or what people think of me as the key to your happiness. Because if you do, you know what those things are? It's a fair. It's temporary. It's going to close up shop and leave town and leave you with nothing. It's cotton candy. It's a big ape. It's the momentary satisfaction of ringing the bell. Who cares? It's going away. And, and God the Father comes to us and writes us this book of 1 John to let us know, hey, don't spend your lives Chasing the fair because it's temporary. It's going away. And you know, if you're like me, this, this is convicting to you. It's convicting to me. Because 
you know, you don't get an immunity idol to temptation if you're in vocational ministry. Sometimes it looks a little different. Sometimes you got to put some pious language around it. Go to a pastor's convention. People want to know, how big's your church? Right of life. Especially if you inflate the numbers. How big's your church? Oh, we got... <clears throat> 2,500 on the rolls? Well, yeah, maybe since the war was over. We got this many in Sunday attendance. Yeah, counting vermin, you know. Um, God knows there's a better way. God wants something better for us. He doesn't want us to chase the fair. He wants to provide us with something lasting. Well, after talking about the temporary nature of the world's fair, in chapter 5, verses 4 and 5, John gives us this incredible truth. This is what he says. He tells us that we can overcome the world's fair in Christ. We can overcome the world's fair in Christ. Think about what that says. We can overcome the world's fair. This means that there's another way. Though things are tempting to us to do, to be, to become, to have, all that stuff is tempting to us, but there is a better way for us in Christ. There's an opportunity for us to overcome, and he talks about it in chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. This is what he says. He says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? You know, in in these two verses, John tells us that we can overcome the world. And and he he says that the ones who will overcome the world are those who have been born of God. Uh, We saw this also last week. That language, born of God, talks about anyone who has a relationship with Jesus Christ, anyone who has trusted in what Christ has done on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, if if we have entered into a relationship with God on that basis, this verse tells us that we will overcome the world. When, When this world is done away with, when the fair picks up and goes away, because it will, it's temporary, it's going to leave and Christ is going to come. And when that happens, when that which is temporary goes away, if you have faith in Christ, then then you will endure. Our lives are are not going to be the sum of whatever we experience at this world's fair. But there is something beyond that for us. And in an ultimate sense, that's what this verse is talking about. But I think there's an experiential sense that this verse is hitting at also. Not just that our eternity is secure, but I think this verse is indicating to us that we can overcome the world right now, in our life as we live today. We can overcome the world. And the the key to overcoming the world in our day-to-day lives is the same key as it is to enter into eternity. It it says in verse 4 that the key is our faith. He says, this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. He says it again in verse 5. Now, who is it that overcomes the world? It's the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. It is our belief, it is our faith that allows us to overcome the world. Well, what does it look like to overcome these things that tempt us 
on the basis of what Christ has done in our faith in Him, in, in the everyday life. Let's go back and, and think through our, our examples. What does it look like to overcome in the area of desire of the, of the flesh, the things that we would do or experience? Again, let's go back and take the example of uh, sex outside of marriage. You know what the first step is in that, in that situation? The first step in that or with pornography or whatever is to just to believe and take God at His word that the best expression of sex is going to be between a husband and a wife. That's the best expression. It begins there. It's a belief that when God says, don't do this, that this that I've created is best expressed in this relationship of a husband and wife, that He's not saying that to take something away from us. He's saying that to give something to us. He wants something better for us. He wants not a world's fair that is temporary. He wants not cotton candy. He wants something that lasts and that's eternal. And when it comes to this, you know, faith is believing that that is true. And then faith is not only believing that it's true, but then living a life that is consistent with that belief. It's saying, God, I know that this is not that this is what's best for me, and I'm going to continue to walk in that direction. If you're married, it means I'm going to be faithful to my spouse. If you're not married, it's I'm going to be faithful to my future spouse, should God provide in that way. It's a belief that God wants what's best for us, and the experiences and the things that we do that we're tempted with, we, we follow His lead in that area. What about in the, the things that we have? And the things that we have, this is, this is where I think, think it is for us. You know, there's things that we see that we want. This is, this is true of all of us. I mean, there, there are things that it just changes by person. Everybody has some things that they want. And sometimes we can let it slip in our minds that I, I, I don't want that, I need that. I need that. It's like, like, no, we need air and we need food. We need air and we need food. Uh, you know, we need some other things, but, you know, we start thinking, I need that new whatever. I need that new, you know, whatever. because if, if I don't have it, then I'll be unhappy. If I don't have that, I will not be provided for. If I don't have it, we just need to stop for a moment. Say, no, 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 no. Well, there, there are things that I want, but, but what I need is you. I'm going to pursue you and not all this stuff. I don't need another monkey in my attic. I need what you want for me. Just laying that down, just Lord, what you want is what I need. If that means living here, if that means driving that, if that means going here, if that means not going there, I just want what you want, Father. What about with the the issue of the pride of life? This is a big one. It means believing that God is sovereign. Believing that God is sovereign and that He's got you where he's got you. You know, it's difficult when you're not where you want to be and somebody asks you, hey, so what do you do for a living? What do you, what do, you do? How big's your family? How many kids you got? What do you do with this? What do you do with that? You know, if, if you're uncomfortable with where you are, many times it's hard to answer those questions, isn't it? I mean, I'm, man, I've been there. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm not saying this, you know, as speaking down. I, this, is, this is stuff that I struggle with, too. You know what, what walking by faith is? Walking by faith is believing that where God has me is where he's got me. 
you know, I can answer truthfully. I don't need to stretch that truth. I don't need to spin it. I just need to say it and believe that God loves me and cares for me and he's got a wonderful plan. We believe that God is sovereign. We take actions consistent with that, even if our circumstances are not weak. The way that we overcome the world's fair is by believing in. What is it today that you're struggling with? What is the temptation? When I got there, you're like, boy, that, that's, that's hitting me. That's poking me because that's where I'm living right now. What would it look like for you instead of chasing that bear, chasing that monkey? What would it look like for you to trust God? I'll let the Holy Spirit in you figure that out. At this time, I'm going to invite the the worship team to come on up. And we're going to close by singing a song together today. Um, But before we do that, as they're coming forward, I, I just want to read a quote. Um, This is a a quote from St. Augustine, and this is what he says. He says, hold fast to Christ, hold fast to Christ. For you, he became temporal so that you might partake of eternity. We have this incredible God who does not offer us something less, but he offers us something more. He offers us eternal life. And knowing what he offers us, the response that, that we are being asked to give to him is just to stand and say, Lord, everything you've got for me, I'm going to trust in you. Please stand and join us.